Greetings, greetings. Yeah, I went to bed too early, so as usual, I woke up and now I'm doing a podcast. <clears throat> as I'm doing a podcast, because I posted a few things trying to be funny, and then it just came to me like out of the blue, um, this idea, which I'm going to share with you in this podcast. Um, the title, huh? Here comes the yawn. Uh, the amazing thing is I already have the title. I had the idea, then I had the title, and I'll do the podcast. That happens sometimes, but not um, not frequently. It's an infrequent uh, you know, event, but it does happen, and I love it when it happens because then I don't have to try to conjure up a title. It just uh, The title is The Allure of Groupthink. Now, I don't know if you people are aware of what groupthink is, but groupthink is... Um, the phenomenon is this, that individuals will surrender their individual thoughts or their individuality from pressure to conform to a group idea or the pressure of a group. Because peer pressure is similar. But group think means in a group, individuality, personal opinion, etc., will, people will suppress that in order to be in agreement with the group, the group's idea. And I've told you a story about that when I was a, uh, went to a college Republican meeting on Iowa State University campus. Um, they were called the uh, Eagles Forum. It was BS. It was just as bad as going to a freaking Antifa meeting. They were going to protest. They were organizing to protest homosexuals on campus. <laughs> I was there to get an education, not to freaking raise hell against people whose lifestyle choices I don't agree with. So I refused to sign the petition. Um, well, I'll tell you the story real quickly. We're in the meeting, and this person, I'm trying to be nice here, um, announced that they were going to send a, a paper around um, to be signed. Uh, they wanted to say, print your name, sign it and put your phone number on the paper. Um, it was a way to pressure people into showing up for this protest. Um, and then he announced that what we were going to do was protest homosexuals on campus and their homosexuality how it, you know, and how it affected campus life. Well, I thought BS. I'm not in for this stuff. Um, even though I don't agree with homosexual lifestyle and et cetera, um, I don't think it would... For me, it's not appropriate to go out and protest these people. I will deal with these people on an individual basis, but I'm not going to put my name and number on a piece of paper and lend credence to um, a protest targeting homosexuals. I'm not going to do it. And so, anyway, the kid sitting next to me, who was in his early 20s, I was in my 30s, late 30s, he got scared. He was upset. And he said, Oh, man. Yeah, they're gonna make us put our number, name, and number on the paper. That'll identify us as who's on, who's in that protest. And we you know what style. He was just brainstorming about what you know. He was thinking about all the different things that could happen. So he asked me what I was gonna do. So he said, "What are you gonna do?" I said, "I'm not gonna sign it." So I'm not put my name. I present protest homosexuals. I said, it's "Stupid." It's, I'm not gonna do it. And he said, "What are you gonna do when the paper comes around to you?" I said, I'm going to hand it to you. <laughs> That's what I told him. And it was true. I was sitting to his left. I said, I'm just going to hand it, uh, hand it off to you. 
And he goes, then what are you going to, they're going to see that you didn't sign that. I said, I don't care. I said, let me tell you something. I don't give a damn. There are like 30-something people in the room. I said, I don't care what they think about me not signing it. I'm not going to do it. When it comes to me, I'm going to pick it up and look at it, and I'm going to hand it to you. And then you do what you're going to do, but I'm not going to sign it. I'm not going to put my name on it. Paper came, predictably. I looked at it, handed it to him. He looked at it, he handed it to the next person, and both of us got up and walked out. We're the only two people out of 30-something people that left the room. Everybody else stayed. And they had their protest. And, of course, they got coverage from the school newspaper, which the only, their only real purpose of the school newspaper was to give people in journalism something to write about and people in third-world countries something to wipe with. That's that was the, the paper was ridiculous. I saved some of them where I was criticized by the paper. The point I'm trying to make is this: is that groupthink is a very powerful uh, force um, in, to get people to comply. It's very active. It's in all institutions and workplaces and families. It exists everywhere, and the sole purpose of it is to get people to conform. To whatever the idea of the group is. <clears throat> it's very effective. People fold like a deck of cards with groupthink. Worse, it creates zealots. Ugh, it's just it's ridiculous. And reason goes out the window as it's replaced by emotion. Very, very, um, very dangerous phenomenon. A lot of people participate in it. The whole reason I'm talking about groupthink is because when I was posting my stuff, um, on Twitter and Instagram, I was thinking about how if you look at the origins of this country, as far as the country itself, it was, the philosophy was that the country would be comprised of individuals. Individuality was super important in this country because individ, okay, individuality denotes personal responsibility. And the way this country was structured would be that individuals who accepted the personal responsibility for themselves would come together united, united on a united purpose that would benefit the country, the citizens of this country, and that's why the system works so well. Well, from the time this, this country was founded and the institution was founded, <sighs> Individuality has been under attack like you cannot even imagine, especially in the last, say, 80 years. Well, let's see, 2022, say, say from about 19, World War I, let's say 1900, let's say 1900, the 20th, the beginning of the 20th century, the thought of individuals coming together was replaced uh, with the group think mode, you know, the group, the organization. Um, so the ind the individual, well, the aspect of individuality, which is to assume personal responsibility, was weakened, and that personal responsibility was no longer personal responsibility. That there were some things that used to be personal responsibility that now we're really the responsibility of the government, for instance. Excuse me, I took a drink of some tea. Herbal, that is. Or that 
other organizations. So it used to be individual personal responsibility, individual part of a family, collective responsibility. And and that is where it stood, at, you know, a long time ago. It's changed quite a bit. Now individuals are told that they're not really responsible for a lot of things. Um, that, that many of the things in life are the fault of society or institutions. The institutions have failed them and that uh, a person isn't really held, shouldn't really be held accountable because the institutions have failed them. And that if the people will give the institutions more power over their lives, um, that they will improve their lives. So if institutions have more, take more of your responsibility from you, they will improve your life. It's, it's false as it's false as it's false as the day is long. Taking somebody's personal responsibility from them does not help the person as an individual. Doesn't help the family either, the members of a family. In order to have, to be an individual, in order to function as an individual, you have to accept personal responsibility for everything. Yes. Everything with the individual. And when a person begins to, you know, transfer or surrender their personal responsibilities to institutions or other people, um, they cease to uh, to function as an individual. Yeah, they do. You you're no longer an individual. You're a dependent. Yeah, and that one of the best ways to control people is is to convince them that they don't have personal responsibility or that their personal responsibility is really the responsibility of institutions and governments and things that are causes and things like that. When people begin to surrender their personal responsibility, what happens immediately is they feel this great weight lifted. Yeah. This is just all, all of a sudden you just feel lighter than air because you're not having to deal with those things. And that's a good feeling um, to not feel like the world's going to come crashing down on you. So what happens is, is people, when they have that feeling, the next time they're faced with um, taking responsibility for themselves, they're reluctant. Um, and they become more fearful and they start looking for the, the source of relief, whatever it was before, whether it's a relative who just throws money at them or the government institution they went to, a welfare or whatever. They look more and more to other people assuming their responsibility. And irresponsible people make irresponsible decisions. And irresponsible people are more likely to make decisions based on emotion. Um, you can, well, statistically, people win the lottery within five years or less um, go back to the state they lived in before they won the lottery. So people who were poor, white trash, just the same goes. I'm just using this as an example. Um, so a person who basically was living subsistence level or poverty level, um, who instead of paying his bills or their bills, could be a woman too, is buying scratched lottery tickets. Say they won $20 million. Government takes 50% of those winnings. 
office for taxes. So they're left with $10 million. Statistically, they will burn through that $10 million and return to their state of poverty or subsistence level with five or less years, traditionally. Um, some commit suicide. Most don't. Most just burn through the money, buy you know, expensive cars, give money to their friends, buy houses. They buy things that they end up not having the money to sustain. They buy mansions, for instance, ridiculous. They'll you know buy a five million dollar, three million dollar mansion, whatever, horses, the whole nine yards, and not have residual income to finance to keep it, and then end up losing it foreclosure because they borrow borrow against it, or they sell it because they need the money, and then they burn through that money, and then they're back living in their trailer. Societies where an individual's personal responsibility is taken away from an individual, and you see this in communist and socialist countries or fascist-based countries, where the government is controlling the people and has taken away a lot of their liberties. And personal responsibility is a form of liberty um, because you're acting for yourself. You have the freedom to act for yourself. So what these socialist communist institutions and where we're going in this country is is to say to a person if you if you surrender your rights we'll give you a benefit for doing it so in other words if you're willing to put your life in our hands um well basically the welfare system is a good one to look at where you're told you'll get so much money a month you get housing, you know, food stamps, uh, I think called SNAP benefits now. But anyways, you're told you will get these things, but then they dictate to you that you cannot work and earn above a certain amount of money. Um, in other words, they put restrictions on you, whereas if you were free to act and maybe get a little education or some training and stuff and improved your circumstances, and, and worked within the company or started your own business or something, taking responsibility for your life and making your decisions, um, you'd be in a much better position to do that. But what will people, what would a lot of people do? They'll choose the government way because it's, it's that immediate release of responsibility and feeling good, like they don't have this burden anymore. It's just that the price they're paying, and not with, not, it's, it's not just what society pays. It's what the individual pays. Because the individual not taking personal responsibility is not acting for themselves. So they're not functioning as an individual. They're functioning as a cog, as it's said, in, in the machinery of government. Um, I don't know. It's very, I'm fortunate my kids are pretty independent. Um, all of them are. No, they support themselves. Um, some have very good jobs. Some some have good jobs. Um, let's see. One already has uh, his college degree. He has a bachelor's and like three associates. And then I have two other children who are finishing their bachelor's degrees. Um, they're they're all doing well. Um, three out of the four. Uh, well, I guess four out of the four, four out of the five, rather, 
uh, manage their money quite well. One is irresponsible buying Apple watches and, you know, trinkets and stuff, but they make pretty decent money. It's just that he uh, and his wife are not as responsible as, say, my daughter or my other sons who, um, you know, who manage their money well and, you know, have a very nice house and new cars. And uh, yes, they're in debt because, you, you, you know, you have to have debt to buy a house. But the thing is, they manage their money well where they're doing the big ones. They own a home. Um they have money in savings. They have investments. So in other words, they're making a lot of money, but they're also preparing for their future properly so they will can maintain their independence. That's what it's all about. Um, my daughter is very good with her money, very um, responsible. You know, she lives on her own, has her apartment, has her own car, finishing her bachelor's degrees, plays in a, a rock band that just signed a contract with a, a record label um and works at an airport she does very well she makes decent money for a 24 year old and she is she takes a personal responsibility for herself she pays her own way freedom isn't i th i think this is the speaking with people especially younger people they don't really connect the dots to how important it is to be free. They don't understand that personal responsibility and freedom go hand in hand. They really don't. They think they can have their cake and eat it too from the standpoint. They think, they feel free because you know, they have money to spend and, you know, they have their lifestyle and are wearing their new Apple watch and they have their iPhone because they have the trappings of success. They think they're successful. Um, they don't pay much attention to what's going on in Washington. Um, but they really are up on what, you know, like protests, BLM and Antifa. Um, they don't really have a concept of what inflation is and how it affects them. Um, they're, they're, they're doing well enough where they, they're not really connected to, to life. They're really not. They're, they're living kind of like a, a fantasy life. They live with their parents, most of the younger people I know. So they're not having the pressures of, of being a, a self-sustaining individual, which means they're not having to pay for housing. They don't have a car payment they have to make. Some do, but, but most don't. So the normal things of life that a person would be responsible for and have to make decisions on and make sacrifices for, they're not having to do that. Um, they're living with their parents, so they're not paying rent. The Internet's free. The food's there. And so they live these idyllic lifestyles because they don't, they haven't really assumed responsibility for themselves. Um, and it's a tragic thing because a per a young person, say 18, 20 years old, who's just out on his own getting started or her own, you have to hit, like they say, you have to hit the ground running. You really do. In this day and age, with a high competition, you cannot, um, and I guess it's glamorized. I see it in movies and stuff. People you know, just having part-time jobs and living together, you know, four adults, you know, renting an apartment, they each pay part of the rent. 
I would never want to be in that situation. I've never wanted to live with other people. I was 17 when I left home. I wanted out on my own. I wanted to get going. Um, I was married at 17 with a child, if you can figure out why. But the thing was, is I joined the Air Force. So I had a steady job, and I was getting training. I was improving myself. I was going to college. I was doing all these things. The point I'm trying to make is I accepted the responsibility for myself in my life. Now, granted, at 17, there's a lot of things I didn't know. I couldn't even get a loan because I wasn't old enough to legally get a loan. Those were very, very difficult times. But the point I'm trying to make here is, is I wanted to take responsibility. I wanted to make my decisions, good and bad. I wanted to be the one making those decisions, not somebody else making those decisions for me. And I think that's what we've lost in this day and age, is people don't want to assume responsibility for themselves. They don't want to be responsible for the decisions that they make. They want that safety net, um, whereas if they make a decision in their life and it doesn't work out, so many want to be able to excuse themselves from the decisions that they made, which is not a good thing. A society that excuses themselves of the responsibility they have as an individual is a society that will fail, and that's the truth. Um, this is going to be short and sweet because I want to get, I'm going to get a snack and probably try to sleep again. But here's my point. We're getting to a point where, um, individuals are losing their liberty and they don't even know it. Many don't even realize the rights that have been infringed upon the gun rights right now that are being infringed upon the right to, well, our First Amendment rights being trampled into the ground. Um, and people are being seduced into believing in hate speech, for instance, and in safe places and all, the, all these things that basically, um, how do you say that? They imprison people. People more and more becoming imprisoned by concepts, concepts. Um, ideas, not hard, in, in other words, not the hard facts and evidence that relate to things, but merely by the ideas, idealism, suggestions, um, and concepts. And even though these things have been tried century after century after century and failed, they're being tried again. Um, this country almost went uh, communist back in the early 20s and 30s until the Russian purges uh, by Stalin were discovered in the 1930s. And people realized back then just how horrific communism really was and how many millions of people died at Stalin's hands with his five-year plans and his getting rid of his political enemies and things of that nature. Now... Communism is resurfaced in this country and is being promoted as a solution uh, to make everybody equal. Communism is one of the most unequal forms of governing in the world. Communism does not make people equal except they're equally, uh, you know, they're equally in bondage to the state. That's what communism is. Equal bondage, slavery. Um, 
but it's being promoted that every and the concept that if a person gets an education and works harder and does well, that somehow he's responsible for somebody who made the choices in life and didn't get an education that didn't do well, that because the person who doesn't do well, you're somehow responsible to give up your resources to that person so they can be equal to you. And it doesn't, it's, it's just insanity, but you'd be surprised how many people sign off on that. You'd be surprised how many people really believe that Bernie Sanders is the answer to America for a president is the answer to America's problems. If you look at Bernie Sanders track record in, you know, in the Senate, He's done virtually nothing all these years. You know, he runs his mouth quite well. And, you know, it pisses and moans. He's very good at that and raises more questions than he gives answers. But if you look at what he has accomplished as a senator, nothing to speak of. Nothing. Two or three bills, if I remember right. He's been in there for decades. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Right, 25 minutes. Um, I want you to think about that because so many times people, to keep the peace, as it says, as the saying goes, or to avoid conflict, will agree with people on things they should never agree upon, never accept. So your, your assignment class is to look at your own life and look at how you conduct yourself with other people. And if you determine that you actively will, um, how do you say this? I guess I'm trying to be nice. Uh, look at your life. If you find that you will not defend things you know are true because you're afraid of making people upset or you're gonna, you feel uncomfortable going against what somebody's saying, I don't personally. Um, I, I am very vocal when someone says, depending on the nature of it, um, I will not agree with something I know is not true. Now, if it's a tense situation uh, and there's a group of people, then I'm super diplomatic and very careful. Um, like so recently when we were in a discussion and someone was saying uh, Obama did a lot for this country. So I said, okay, what did he do? That's all I said. I said, what, what did he do? They couldn't answer the question because they they thought by saying Obama had done a lot for this country, that and, and everybody was going, yeah, he, he accomplished quite a bit. So by making the statement that Obama did a lot for this country, actually put a lot of the, well, I say a lot of people, I think there were four of us in the discussion. It put them on the defensive because basically – the way the the statement was framed, a person would have to say what he didn't do. Well, I can think of a lot of things he didn't do, and I can think of a lot of bad things he did do. But basically, when that question was posed, people automatically knew not to go against Obama or say anything against Obama. But it seemed like this person knew what they were talking about. So I said, well, what did he do? They said, what? I said, well, what did he do? What accomplishments did he, did he have in his presidency? Well, he had a lot. And I said, okay, well, name one. Tell me one. And the other people were getting uncomfortable because I wasn't agreeing with them. Um, and then they said, well, 
you know, there's just so many. I can't think of one off the top of my head. And I said, that's because there weren't many. I said, he did tremendous harm to this country. I said, he, he empowered um, Iran with a treaty that would put Iran on track to have a nuclear weapon and risk endangering the lives of American citizens by uh, facilitating Iran's development of a nuclear weapon. I said, that was pretty crazy to do, don't you think? Well, they didn't know enough about the nuclear uh, deal with uh, Iran. They didn't know enough about it to say anything about it, so they didn't. And they said, well, you know, I'm not really sure what you're talking about. And, and I don't, you know, and I said, yeah, oh, I do. He sent them 100, more than $150 billion in cash on pallets. He sent it to Iran, American dollars, to a terrorist state. And we're, we're, and we were, I said, the irony is we have a, he put forth a treaty with Iran when the policy of the United States is not to negotiate with terrorists. He, he put in, I said, I'm going to tell you what he did in that treaty. And you can look it up and read it for yourself. In that treaty, we agreed to prevent Israel from stopping Iran from developing the bomb. As I said, the wording is their nuclear program. Well, why is Iran working on a nuclear program? They want a bomb. That's why. Um, they weren't aware of any of this. But but my point is this, is do not surrender. If you know something is true and somebody makes a false statement, uh, a representation in front of a group, you, I, I think you have a duty to counter it. Yeah, And you don't have to say, that's bull, because I do say that sometimes. That's BS. Not to be like that. You can just ask a simple question. Ask him to explain it. What's another thing I do is where are your sources? What sources? Could you tell me what sources support your assertion? Most people can't give you sources, uh, except CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. They'll cite uh, a media company, a news organization. News organizations are not sources unless it came from them directly. So when a news organization says, Senator so-and-so today said blah, 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 no, that, that's not necessarily true. You have to go to the source, which is the senator, and read his statement verbatim. You cannot trust third parties, news organizations, your Aunt Millie or whoever, to relay something to you that is attributed to somebody else. You have to go to the original source. That's what we're taught in history. You know, well, a lot of other disciplines too, sciences and stuff. You always cite your sources. That's what you're supposed to do. Okay, that's enough. It's been just over half an hour. Um, think about this because you're going to find more and more um, you're going to be one of the, you're either going to be a person who remains individualistic and accepts personal responsibility, or you're going to be the person that gives it away and loses your, your liberties and your freedoms in the process. All right. Goodbye.